The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's a Tuesday edition of Pro Football Talk PM, otherwise known as PFTPM. I don't know why I said the whole thing. I just did. Last one of the season as it relates to the awards handed out for the games that were played in the prior Sunday. And it's a Super Bowl Tuesday, PFTPM, Super Bowl 54 awards. It's gotten more and more difficult over the course of the playoffs to come up with Player of the Week, Rookie of the Week, Coach of the Week, and Call of the Week as we have fewer and fewer games. But with the Super Bowl, you can come up with anything you need to. And MDS and I are ready to do it. MDS, good to see that you got back to Chicago safely after Miami. I have a feeling it's probably cooler there, although it's actually warmer here today in West Virginia than it is in Miami. Really? Is that the case? Yes, it is definitely colder in Chicago. We're actually having a generally mild winter by Chicago standards, but even that is still like, 30 degrees colder than what we had in Miami. Yeah, and and Miami was not as hot as I thought it would be, which is fine with me. I didn't want to bake. There was one day Friday, I think, that it was kind of humid. But it was, uh, it was clear for the most part. It was sunny for the most part. And it was cool for the most part, except for a couple of times when the skies opened up with rain Friday night and into Saturday. So it was a good time. It goes by just like that. When you're in the middle of it, it feels like it's never going to end. And then it ends, and it feels like it never even happened. But it did happen, and we were there watching Super Bowl 54, and that's what today is about. And you won the regular season picks competition that we do, and you won the postseason picks competition. We both picked the Chiefs. I was very nervous about my Chiefs selection, very nervous about it. And with about 12 minutes left in the game, I assumed that we both were going to be wrong uh, what ultimately caused you to side with the notion that the Chiefs would win the game? Well, it was ultimately about Patrick Mahomes, and that was ultimately how it worked out. Now, I expected Patrick Mahomes to play better from the start than he did. He actually really did not play well for the first three quarters of the game, but boy, once they got it going in the end, they had those three straight touchdown drives. Third one wasn't really much of a drive. Can't credit that one to Mahomes. It was just a long run. But those two those two touchdown drives that he had when they went from 20-10 down to 24-20 up, that was the Patrick Mahomes I was expecting to see, and, and that was why I picked the Chiefs. Yeah, it all happened, too, in that one moment. Peter King had a great story about the play 2-3 jet chip wasp the play that was a repeat of a call that they had in the first half. The only difference was instead of running straight at safety, Jimmy Ward, receiver Tyreek Hill broke to the corner. Ward couldn't get to him, and the ball went from the Kansas City 22 to the San Francisco 22 where the catch was made and the Chiefs were in business to tighten things up. Even then, I, I didn't expect the Chiefs to win even after that play. I thought, okay, maybe they'll get a score and – Maybe they'll make it close, but that San Francisco meat grinder running game ultimately would be the difference, and it wasn't. Those topics and more will come up as we go through our players, rookies, coaches, and calls of the game. And let's start with player of the game. You 
you deferred Patrick Mahomes to me. You have another selection in mind, unless you thought genuinely that your selection really was the best player of the game, which is possible. Some people do. Well, I decided to go with Chris Jones, the Chiefs defensive lineman, and I was kind of expecting you to take Patrick Mahomes, and I thought I would be nice and give some of the the easy choices to you, but I really liked the way that Jones played. I mean, he tipped, I think, three passes at the line of scrimmage, and I don't think we talked enough about how big a part he played in rattling Jimmy Garoppolo, and it wasn't so much with the pressure of getting close enough to him to to force him to leave the pocket or throw it away quickly. But it was like Garoppolo almost looked like he was feeling claustrophobic because he just knew that sense of Jones was there. Jones being able to get his hands up, changed the the passing lanes that Garoppolo had. And, And I thought that Jones had a significant impact. We've seen it in these playoffs. And of course, Jones had the calf injury earlier in the postseason, but we've seen what a difference maker he can be. He's set to become a free agent. I think he's one of the real good young players in this league who's going to have some interesting options if he hits free agency, if the Chiefs don't either tag him or sign him to a long-term deal. And and I think he's important to remember for the Chiefs this offseason. Obviously, everyone's talking about Mahomes likely to get a big new contract, but let's also keep Jones in mind because keeping him is going to be very important to the Chiefs. Yeah, by the way, sources close to me tell me that Jones may be doing some media later this week in New York City, and we are working on the logistics of possibly a two-way from 30 Rock and me here from West Virginia to have a conversation with Jones, who has become a dominant force at defensive line. And I can only assume the franchise tag is coming his way if they can't work out a long-term deal because they cannot afford to lose him. And for me, there were two moments back-to-back, and we're going to talk more about the decision to call a pass on second and five when the 49ers were up three and they had an opportunity to really milk the clock and put the the foot on the throat of the Chiefs by running the ball. They opted to throw. And on second and five, George Kittle had looped around with Terrell Suggs, of all people, covering him. In other words, Kittle was wide open. And Jones was blocked. A double team kept him away, but it pushed him into the path of the throw. And he put that big meat hook up in the air and knocked it down. That was huge, especially because on the next play, and Chris Sims broke this down earlier today on PFT Live, on the next play, Kittle was open in the same general area, but Garoppolo never looked to the inside because I don't think he wanted to have it happen again where Chris Jones knocks down another pass. So somebody asked me earlier if Jones should have been the MVP. I said they probably don't win the game without Jones. They definitely don't win the game without Patrick Mahomes, and that's kind of how I balanced it out in my mind because for Mahomes, who showed the ultimate amnesia as it relates to things that had happened earlier in the game, he looked like he was going to be the GOAT in a bad way for Super Bowl 54. He got frustrated and threw the interception to Fred Warner. That was just classic, they're not giving me anything down the field, screw it, I'm going to throw it type of a decision. And then he was behind Tyree Kill when it was 20 to 10. That was the moment that it looked like the Chiefs were going to drive down and at least make it 20 to 13. In cut by Tyree Kill, throw behind him, Hill pops it up in the air, Tavarius Moore intercepts it. And, and that was it. Uh, I, that was the moment that I said it's over. 
49ers are winning this game. If I could have changed my pick at that moment, I would have changed my pick at that moment. And after that, Mahomes woke up. And, and he woke up at the strangest time because there was this 16-yard throw on second and 15 to Tyreek Hill that was ruled a catch on the field. And then Kyle Shanahan, the coach of the 49ers, throws the red challenge flag. And when we started to see the replay angles, like, yeah, that ball hit the ground. And, and when it felt like the Chiefs had a little bit of life, like that 16-yard game was a big deal at the time because everything was in front of the 49ers' defense. They were doing a great job dropping guys back and forcing Mahomes to be patient. That's when 2-3 Jet Chip Wasp came into the picture on 3rd and 15. Mahomes got the ball at the 30 in shotgun formation, faded back 8 yards to his 22, threw it to the other 22 where Tyreek Hill had busted open, and that was the moment that everything started to turn, and he could forget about everything that happened. And I almost think, MDS, the fact that they fell behind the Texans by 24 points, the fact that they were behind by the Titans 10-0 in 17-7, I, I feel like that makes it easier for Mahomes to have that audacity, that delusion that I, I can turn it on whenever I want. And we'd kind of seen it this year from time to time. You know, I remember when they beat the Raiders in week two. They, it was 28-10. to 10. And all 28 points came in the second quarter. It's like they find the gas pedal and they mash it. And the next thing you know, they've scored 20, 28 points. And and that that throw opened the floodgates to a completely different mentality for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And next thing you know, it's 20 to 17. Next thing you know, it's 24 to 20. And it was Mahomes playing on those two drives. Because you're right, the third drive was kind of a garbage. Caught the 49ers with their guard down and thinking maybe they're going to stop him and get the ball back, and Damian Williams pops it. But those two drives, those were championship drives with championship throws, and that's why Patrick Mahomes went to Disney World on Monday. Those two drives. Rest of the game, who cares? Those two drives, he got it done, and that's why, in my view, Mahomes is the player of the game. Yeah, and I think leading comeback victories is one of the kind of signature elements of what makes a great quarterback and, and you see it in, in these biggest of games I mean I grew up with Joe Montana thinking of him as kind of just the, the signature guy to lead a drive in the fourth quarter you need to score he's the guy you want running it we there have also been a lot of other great ones we've seen do that but I think Mahomes is right up there who knows if he'll end up with four rings like Joe Montana but from what he's done so far in his career, I really think Mahomes is right up there with the all-time greats of that simple question of, hey, you're losing in the fourth quarter, or you've fallen behind by 10 early or 24 early, and you need a quarterback, you're going to be confident and lead a comeback. Who do you pick? There are not many quarterbacks I've ever seen who I would pick before Patrick Mahomes. He, he doesn't get down his body language doesn't look down he he looks like he's just got a, a natural gravity to him that his teammates all feel like hey we can trust this guy to bring us back Let, let's just get open for him block for him be ready for him and, and he's gonna lead us back and that that i think is one of the things that separates the really great quarterbacks is that ability to take a team that's down take a team that's losing and deliver in those moments. And, and Mahomes is really already for me on the short list of the quarterbacks who I would trust the most 
to do that for their team, to come back from a deficit. That's something that I think Patrick Mahomes is a quarterback that you can absolutely count on to do that as he's done in all three postseason games. And there's something to be said, I believe, for getting a championship early in your career as a starter and early in your career as a player by year three, right? Think of some of the guys who have gotten their first Super Bowl wins by year three. Joe Montana in year three. Tom Brady in year two. Troy Aikman in year well, four of his career, we'll give him a little bit of leeway there, even though he's not the gunslinger that some of these other guys were. But I almost think that if you, if you can, can prove to yourself early in your career that you can climb the mountain, it, it gives you the confidence to keep climbing to the top of the mountain. And I also think that it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy that when you get into those moments – the defense starts thinking, oh, crap, here it comes. Oh, crap, here it comes. Kind of the flip side of Tony, Tony Romo. I remember Heinz Ward telling me at, at one point not long after his career ended that when they played the Cowboys, and I think the Cowboys blew a lead or something like that, they, they just there was a sense, a palpable sense on the field that Tony Romo was eventually going to screw it up because that was his narrative for a long stretch of his career. And I think the narrative for a lot of these guys, and I think it becomes part of their aura, they know how to win big games they know how to deliver in the clutch and once you do it like anything else once you do it the easier it gets for the next time that's why I think it was so important that Patrick Mahomes won the Super Bowl at this moment at this time and it lays the foundation for more and more of them and I don't know how many he's going to win but we are going to be sick of Patrick Mahomes we're going to be sick I don't don't mean that in a bad way but I mean think of the Patriots fatigue that has set in there will be Chiefs fatigue and maybe Patrick Mahomes is a different kind of personality because I don't think Patrick Mahomes is ever going to have that big-time vibe that Tom Brady does. I mean, Tom Brady has seemed aloof and disconnected from the unwashed masses for years. Patrick Mahomes has not changed. So, he may be the exception. He may be the guy who keeps going back and winning, and we keep rooting for him to win, and the fans of all the other teams just accept the fact that for the next 15 years, Patrick Mahomes owns the NFL. And when he's gone, you're going to be sad that he's gone. You're not going to be relieved that he's gone. That may be the future that we're looking at in the National Football League. Yeah, and of course, you never know what direction a quarterback's career will take. Uh, Aaron Rodgers would be an example of someone who, when, when he won his first Super Bowl, I think all of us would have expected that by now, he would have been to another Super Bowl, and he hasn't. He's been close, but he hasn't been back. Uh, Drew Brees hasn't been back since he won his first. Dan Marino famously got to one, lost it, never got back. So you, you can never say with any degree of certainty what trajectory a career will take, but I certainly believe that Patrick Mahomes has all the tools you would ask for from a quarterback who is going to be back, who's going to lead his team back, and who may be back with the Chiefs for years to come at a time when all of his current teammates may be gone. I mean, you could see it being a long-term run in Kansas City, uh, like with Tom Brady, where, of course, by the end, none of his teammates were still with him who were there for the first Super Bowl. Um, in the case of Patrick Mahomes, given Andy Reid's age, he not may not be there for Patrick Mahomes' entire career. But but you just look at Patrick Mahomes and you think 
the chances are great for him to be leading the Chiefs to Super Bowls for many years to come. Way too early assessment of the end of his career. What is the break-even point for number of Super Bowls that will feel like he's done enough with his talent and ability? What's the over-under? Two and a half? Three and a half? Higher? Lower? What is it? I'll go with three and a half, which is, you know, that is such a high bar to set. But with one now, you know, if he wins two more and it's only two more, that that would, in a weird way, feel like, boy, there were some missed opportunities in there. By the way, he's already had one missed opportunity. I mean, he lost an AFC championship game in an overtime when he never got to touch the ball. So we can already look at Patrick Mahomes' career and point to one missed opportunity. You know, it, it sounds crazy to set that bar at three Super Bowls, with with which so few quarterbacks have achieved. But if he doesn't get at least that many, I feel like, you know, three or four is what he ought to get. So uh, if he doesn't get that, um, certainly it wouldn't make him not an all-time great player. But, but you look at him and you say, boy, there's every chance to catch up to Joe Montana and maybe even if the if the breaks go the right way, are we going to talk about him as, as threatening Tom Brady for that all-time crown? So it, it just feels like the sky is the limit for Patrick Mahomes. And uh, it, you hope he stays healthy and you hope the, the Chiefs have a good team around him for many, many years to come. I'm going to take it a step farther and I'm going to make the argument that he could be already at three. Because during the 2017 season, when the Chiefs knew what they had, they knew. We interviewed Travis Kelsey during that season. He was raving about the things Patrick Mahomes was doing at practice. They deliberately kept him on the bench all the way until Week 17, a meaningless game, which he won in Denver, 27-24, his first NFL start. The offense was sputtering during the middle of the season for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I was banging the drum to bench Alex Smith and put in Patrick Mahomes. And who knows what would have happened. And I think if they had known at that time that Patrick Mahomes was going to play the way he did in 2018, if he would have played that way right out of the gates, I don't know what would have happened that year. I don't think any of us know what would have happened that year. But it would have been an opportunity for the Chiefs to do something more than lose at home in the wild card round, 22-21, to to the Tennessee Titans. So, look, of all the things that Andy Reid has done right, as it relates to Patrick Mahomes, I think the one thing he didn't do right was keeping him on the bench during the 2017 season. That's the only criticism that can be offered of this magical run that has just started. But there already could be two or three pelts on the wall. And that flip of the coin could have resulted in the Chiefs getting the ball, the Chiefs winning the game, and then the Chiefs beating the Rams last year in Super Bowl 53. So I agree with you. I think three and a half is the break-even point. If he only wins two more Super Bowls, considering he's the youngest Super Bowl MVP ever, if he only wins two more Super Bowls over the course of his career, that's going to feel like he didn't do enough. If he gets three more, okay. If he finishes with four, like Montana and Bradshaw, that's enough. The real question is, will he catch hashtag Tommy, and will he pass Tom Brady. Now, Brady's at six. Who knows if he's going to get number seven? Who knows if he's going to get number eight? But that's and, and that's the standard, I think, for Mahomes. He's not looking at being another Joe Montana or another Terry Bradshaw. He's looking at being the best ever. And to be the best ever, you got to pass Tom Brady. That's the only way you're going to get people to say that was the best quarterback who ever lived. And one down, 
six to go, and a lot, and it's a lot of parades. That's a lot of great seasons. But uh, Brady went ten years between championships, and I have a feeling that during the course of his career, we're not going to see a full decade pass between moments where Patrick Mahomes declares he's going to Disney World. All right, rookie of the game for Super Bowl Fifty Four. Next topic: MDS. Who'd you select? Well, I went with Debo Samuel, who, of course, ran the ball very well. He had the most rushing yards ever for a wide receiver in the Super Bowl. But, you know, my favorite of his plays was the play where what was called was actually for him to pass the ball. And it was on a third down and he looked downfield, saw no one was open, and then he tucked it and ran for the first down. And I thought that was so important because he showed a lot of awareness when he didn't throw it on that trick play. That's what it was setting up for, was for him to throw the ball. But he said, hey, nobody's open. I'm not going to end our drive now by throwing it away or risking an interception. I see that I've got enough room to run for the first down. I'm going to run for the first down. And I thought that was such a heads-up play that I, I really respected Debo Samuel for coming up with that and uh, I liked that a lot and I'll say one other thing I have to give a little bit of criticism to Kyle Shanahan for not running Debo Samuel even more and that might sound ridiculous because he had the most rushing yards ever for a wide receiver but it was working so well why not keep going to it why not give him 10 carries or 12 carries Maybe that sounds crazy to give a wide receiver that many carries, but until the Chiefs proved they could stop that play, I wish they would have kept doing it because Debo Samuel, to me, was was really running the ball extremely well and I thought could have done more. Yeah, I agree with you. We talked about that earlier on PFT Live. It was working with Debo Samuel. He almost had a Taysom Hill type of an impact on the game, in my mind, where every time he had the ball, he was the best player on the field. It was man among boys type stuff. So get him the ball more. And there's a reluctance, I think, to using gadget plays that worked a second time. Now, they used the running play that we saw in the first drive a second time, setting up a pass that became a run for a first down. But the guy is incredible with the ball in his hands. So get the ball in his hands. It's that simple. And I think the Saints would have beaten the Vikings in the wild card round if they had just used Taysom Hill a little bit more. You could argue that the 49ers would have beaten the Chiefs in the Super Bowl if they had used Debo Samuel a little bit more. And that's one where I would have picked him if you hadn't picked Debo Samuel because I think that he had – I know he had a huge impact. He could have had a greater impact, but he doesn't call the plays – And I think he was one of the best players on the field for the 49ers, if not the very best player on the field for the 49ers. But my selection for rookie of the game, a guy who was as impactful, maybe more, could have been more if he would have been able to chase Patrick Mahomes a little bit better. And that's Nick Bosa, who was was the guy all week long. When we asked players who had experience going against the 49ers during the 2019 season at the Super Bowl, and I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 15 different guys, could relate to what it's like to face the 49ers. The guy to stop, the guy to avoid, the guy that you want to be watching wherever he goes is Nick Bosa, without question. And the Chiefs did a good job of slowing him down just enough, but he was still very, very disruptive. And look, there's a lot of Chiefs, no, 49ers fans who are salty about the fact that no holding penalties were called on the Chiefs. Well, you know what? If that's the way they're calling the game, go out and hold. Tell your guys to go hold. And uh, if you're getting away with holding, so be it. But even with that, 
Bosa was the best rookie on the field other than Debo Samuel. And I, I went into this game believing that the Chiefs would win because I believed that Patrick Mahomes could outmaneuver Nick Bosa when stuff began to break down. And I was very critical of the Packers for using traditional drop-back passing for Aaron Rodgers. Because I think with the 49ers, when you drop back into the pocket and stop moving, you're inviting the walls to start closing in, and you're not going to get away. And I think one or two times we saw Patrick Holmes get sacked, that's what happened. He was in the pocket. You can't stay in the pocket against Nick Bosa. And I was a firm believer that Andy Reid would move Patrick Mahomes most of the game, and and he has the athleticism and the elusiveness to outrun Nick Bosa. I was convinced of that because I knew Aaron Rodgers had it. And if Rodgers has it, Mahomes has it because he's so much younger. But there are a lot – when you watch their film, there are a lot of the same with the way they move and the 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 funny body angle throws and, and the things they create on the run. So I was confident Mahomes would not get gobbled up by Bosa and that they'd get him on the move – but even with all that said, Bosa almost destroyed the game. I mean, he he had the, the sack where he knocked the ball out of his hands, and he was constantly around Mahomes, which made it harder for Mahomes to finally get the lawnmower started. It's one of the reasons why it wasn't until the fourth quarter that it got going. And by then, because he was on the move so much of the game, that's when Bosa was starting to get a little tired, and that's what created the opening for the Chiefs to score so many points. So my pick is Bosa. Now, you're uh, up next. We're going to slide over to Coach of the Week. Who is your selection for Super Bowl 54? Well, I'm going with Eric Bieniemy, who, of course, is the Chiefs offensive coordinator. And, you know, I, I loved the way he talked about that trick play that they got from the 1948 Rose Bowl. Um, and, and I just thought that he called a very good game. He and Andy Reid, of course, and uh, Eric Bieniemy, I think, is an assistant coach who is getting a lot of attention uh, as a head coaching candidate. And I'm not sure what more he needs to do to actually get a head coaching job. Andy Reid was asked that question during the week, and he said there's nothing more for him to do. He has already demonstrated that he's ready to be a head coach. I know that he's ready to be a head coach. He just needs to get the opportunity. So... I hope he does get that opportunity. I think he's done a very good job for the Chiefs this entire season, and I certainly think he did a good job for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and you just wonder when that chance is going to come. And you also wonder at what point he decides, you know what, I'll just stick around here. I'll wait to be the successor to Andy Reid if he gets that indication, kind of like Josh McDaniels has with the Patriots and Bill Belichick, although I don't know if that's still the case. I think there's an emerging sense that Steve Belichick may be the guy who ultimately takes over whenever Bill calls it quits and maybe McDaniels leaves by then. But if I'm the enemy, I don't know that I'm in a hurry, right? Because I'm going to end up with a fistful of rings as well. I'm going to milk this Patrick Mahomes phenomenon for what it's worth, and maybe I'm the guy who becomes the genius, who becomes one of the great coaches of all time, by winning two or three or four of my own if Andy Reid decides to step aside at 65 or 66 or doesn't push it all the way into his 70s. Although if I were Reid, I'd stay as long as I could because there's a chance I'm going to catch Bill Belichick with Patrick Mahomes as my quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because at a minimum, MDS, I'm going to be very, very selective moving forward if I'm Eric Bieniemy. I'm not taking any job because it's a job to take. 
I'm only taking a job if it's the right job to take. If they have a great quarterback, for example, or an opportunity to draft one in the next selection process. Otherwise, I'm not going to stray very far from Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and you don't often hear of coaches turning down head coaching jobs because there are only 32 of them. And in any given year, only, you know, four to eight of them are open. And I think a lot of coaches who desire to be an NFL head coach think I have to take the first offer I get because I might never get another one. And although it's completely understandable why they feel that way, I think it's pretty smart to be selective if you're confident in yourself that you're going to get a good offer, be selective. And if you meet with the owner, interview him while he's interviewing you. And if you're not convinced that this is a franchise that is going to win, they've got a GM I believe in, they've got a plan I believe in, the owner is willing to spend what I think he needs to spend on assistant coaches and facilities and all of those things, just turn him down. If you're in a good position which you probably are if you're doing well enough as an assistant to be getting a head coaching interview, just turn him down and stay where you are. So it'll be interesting to see if Eric Bieniemy would do that. Uh, I I don't know if he's feeling like he would take the first offer he gets or if he would turn down an offer if he didn't think it was just right. But I wouldn't blame him one bit if he said, I'll stay with the Chiefs until I'm certain that I get not just an offer, but the right offer. I know how I'm wired. Now, it's easy to say this when you're not turning down the money that goes along with being an NFL head coach. But just generally speaking, if I feel like there's a club that doesn't want me, I never want that club, right? And Hey, you had your chance. And I'm just going to chill here with Reed and Mahomes, and I'm not leaving anywhere because I know Clark Hunt will want me at the appropriate time. And, and I just wonder how much of that factors in. Again, we're talking about a significant difference in what he would be paid as a head coach, but who knows? Maybe part of the inducement for Bienemy to stick around is that Clark Hunt starts spending a little money on uh, on making Eric Bienemy one of the highest paid offensive coordinators, especially if he senses that Patrick Mahomes would very much like him to continue in that job because the team has been great, one of the best offenses, if not the best offense in football during the last two years. And I remember last year, Believing when the season ended that if the Chiefs' defense was just a little bit better in 2019, they would win the Super Bowl. Now, it was a rocky road to get there because of the Mahomes injury, and we kind of forgot about the Chiefs. But now that the Super Bowl has come and gone, and I think back to how I felt last year, yeah, defense gets a little bit better, and they win the Super Bowl. And the defense got more than a little bit better in large part because of the attitude that Steve Spagnuolo brought to the team. So he's my coach of the game for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I wonder at what point – he gets another opportunity because he had a disastrous run with the Rams. Uh, and disastrous is an understatement. But he did such a great job with the Giants when they won Super Bowl 42 with a masterful game plan against the Patriots. And now, you know, as the Chiefs start racking up title after title after title, if that happens, he's the guy in charge of the defense. Andy Reid's an offensive guy. At some point, people are going to say, hey, this Spagnola knows what he's doing, and we're going to forget about the donut hole in his coaching career that was his time with the Rams, and we're going to give this guy a job. We're going to give him another chance, and, and that'll be interesting to me to see if he gets that phone call in the next hiring cycle, if that distraction, and the Chiefs didn't have to deal with that distraction. The 49ers did with Robert Sala. Now, that ended after the divisional round, but the Chiefs really didn't have to worry about any of their coordinators being 
shortlist head coaching candidates that maybe a team was waiting to hire, and maybe next year Spagnola will be uh, competing for some of the same jobs that Eric Bieniemy may be under consideration for. So, look, it's inevitable if they keep winning championships. The question is, can they keep winning championships, and will the defense continue to improve? But I, I think that in the Super Bowl specifically, they did just enough to slow down the run to get the 49ers to not go meat grinder running game in the fourth quarter. They got away from the running game too many times, kept too much time on the board, and credit to Spagnolo for doing just enough defensively to make Kyle Shanahan shy away from that invitation and temptation to just run, 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 like they did against the Vikings after Jimmy Garoppolo freaked Shanahan out, and they did all day long against the Packers because the Packers had no answer for it. And there was just enough done, just enough done on uh, defense against the running game to, to rattle the 49ers offense and, and open the door for the comeback by getting off the field when it was 20 to 10 after the interception and then getting off the field quickly when it was 20 to 17. Yeah. And you know, with Steve Spagnolo, so many coaches have succeeded in a second stop that, that I would agree don't rule him out as a successful head coach in the future. You know, Andy Reid's been fired as a head coach. Uh, Bill Belichick's been fired as a head coach. Pete Carroll's been fired as a head coach. Just because you got fired as a head coach before doesn't mean you won't succeed in your next stop. And so I would absolutely consider Steve Spagnuolo, if I were an NFL owner, I would think about him as someone who I, I would study what went wrong in his last stop, and then I would I would in the interview just say, hey, what can you tell me you've learned since then so that it won't go wrong a second time? And if I'm impressed with the answer, I would really consider him as a strong candidate. I, I think there there's no reason not to hire a head coach for a second chance because we've seen enough head coaches do very well win Super Bowls in their second head coaching stints that, that there's just not a reason to say that, well, just because you didn't succeed the first time around, that means you can't succeed the second. All right, we have three categories down, one category still to go. Call of the week time from Super Bowl 54 MDS. What do you have? Well, I really liked what Andy Reid did early in the game when he twice went for it on fourth down. I thought that was kind of a tone-setting decision. One time, he initially sent the field goal team out on the field. Then there was an injury timeout, and he changed his mind decided to go for it. They picked up the first down and then ended up scoring a touchdown. The second time they went for it on fourth down, they again picked up the first down. They then stalled and had to settle for the field goal. But I really liked that aggressiveness. And it was something we didn't see from Andy Reid during the regular season. You know, we talked a lot in the regular season about how aggressive the Ravens were being on fourth down and how maybe that was signaling that good teams were going to do that more. We actually didn't see it from the Chiefs in the regular season. The Chiefs, in fact, went for it the fewest times in the league in the regular season, but Andy Reid showed confidence in his offense in the Super Bowl, and I really liked that a lot. I thought both times he went for it, it was the right call, uh, and, and I just thought that that really set a tone 
for the Chiefs that they felt like, hey, our coach is confident in us. We know that he thinks we can do it. And and I thought that those were both the right calls and, and calls that maybe not every coach would have made, but clearly were smart decisions, aggressive decisions. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I liked it too. And I really wonder what would have happened if Damian Williams had been ruled out of bounds before the ball crossed the plane. It would have been fourth and short, 20 to 17. Do you kick the three points and tie it up, or do you go for the score? I w- it's easy for me to say I would have gone for the score because my legacy isn't riding on it, but I'm a firm believer. If you're down three, four, whatever, if a score ties it or puts you ahead, a touchdown does late in the game, and you're down that far, I go for it because if you don't get it, you got them pinned and you're going to get the ball back most likely if you can just hold them there and they don't have a whole lot of plays they can go to in their playbook when they're facing first down from their own one-inch line and 10 yards to go packed against their their goalpost. And for me, look, I, I have a ton of respect for Kyle Shanahan and what he's done and the team that he's built. I just wonder two things. One, Even though he's not ultimately to blame exclusively, he has some of the blame. You can't say he has none of the blame. He doesn't have all of the blame. He doesn't have none of the blame for 28-3 to when he was the offensive coordinator of the Falcons. I think Dan Quinn shares the blame. I think Dan Quinn may have more of the blame because he's the head coach. Look, the offensive coordinator is just the guy who picks the play. The, The head coach is the guy who's there to say yes or no. He's turning the key, right, on the launch code. You have a fail-safe, and you also have a fail-safe on the field because if Peyton Manning had been the quarterback of the Falcons that day and didn't want to pass the ball and wanted to run it and keep the clock moving and get the field goal, he's going to change it to a run play, and nobody's going to say boo about it. And that year, Matt Ryan was the NFL's MVP, and if he wanted to change the play. So you had two guys who deferred to Shanahan's decision to throw on second and 10 or 11 when the Falcons were up eight points and a touchdown would have ended the game. A field goal would have made it very difficult for the Patriots to force a tie, and they ended up getting knocked out of field goal range. I wonder how much of that is rattling around inside of Kyle Shanahan's brain when he's up 10 points and then up three points late in the Super Bowl. And I don't know how many times he works through these scenarios We know that Bill Belichick is the master of situational football. But second and five, up three, with six minutes or so to play. And on first down, you gain five yards with Raheem Mostert. Why do you pass the ball on second and five? To me, that – now, look, if they had run the ball and not gotten first down and then they have to go for it on third down. But, hey, if it's third and three or third and two, that's better than third and five. Or maybe you get the first down. Right, Get the ball to Debo Samuel again. Go ahead and go back to the well with the gadget play. I mean, sometimes you, you keep going back to the well because it keeps working. And we saw how they ran and ran and ran and ran and ran against the Vikings and the Packers. And, and I just I wonder whether or not, and this gets back to the Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl 54, or 49, excuse me. Was Kyle Shanahan looking for a way to boost the confidence of Jimmy Garoppolo going into next season by calling a pass play there. And it was a great call. George Kittle, wide open. Terrell Suggs covering him. The problem is Chris Jones put that hand up in the air, as we talked earlier, and knocked it down. But, you know, are you trying – what what is the the tiebreaker when you call a pass in that spot? And 
because uh, I think they should have run. I was surprised they didn't run because the last thing you want to do is give Andy Reid, who has a history of clock management issues, the last thing you want to do is give him so much time that time isn't an issue. And ultimately, they got the ball back. There was five minutes left. They had 65 yards to go for the win and 30 yards or thereabouts to go for the tie, and uh, time wasn't an issue. And, and I just I think the 49ers could have kept the ball until the end of the game. If you'd have told me before the game that the 49ers will be up three points with six minutes left, first and 10, what was it, their 20 or their 25, something like that, and, and they had gained five yards on first down running the ball, I would have said they're going to win the game because they're going to run the ball, they're going to chew the clock, they're going to run the ball, they're going to chew the clock, and there's not going to be any time left or not nearly enough time left for Patrick Mahomes to work his his uh, his miracles. And to me, that moment, that decision of Kyle Shanahan to call the pass, that that decided the outcome of the Super Bowl in my view. Yeah, and you know, the weakness of the Chiefs all season was their run defense. I mean, if there was one thing you could point to to the Chiefs all year long and say that this is an area where you can beat them, it was running on them. And after we saw how effectively the 49ers ran against the Packers in the NFC Championship game, I thought we would see a very similar game plan to that, and we didn't see that. And so to me, that was really surprising. I don't really get what Kyle Shanahan was thinking. Um, It's so hard to to nitpick individual play calls because, you know, as you noted, the the, the play that Chris Jones tipped that pass, just as easily we could be talking about, well, wow, what a great play that was if it hadn't been a tip pass, right? So I, I don't really like nitpicking the individual play calls, but ultimately a, a full game worth of calls just comes down to several individual calls and, and all the times when you thought like, now this is a time when, when you could run the ball effectively against the chiefs. We just saw the, the 49ers passing and it, it, it was just a strange set of calls. And, and especially that second and five w- was really surprising to me. And uh, I, I can't really understand it. You know, there was a point in that Packers game when I thought it looked like Kyle Shanahan might have just said, we're only running the rest of the game. We literally just are not going to pass, period. They ended up, they did end up throwing a couple more passes in the fourth quarter of that NFC Championship game. But I was wondering, when it was 20-10, to 10, I was wondering if maybe Kyle Shanahan had done something similar and had just said, hey, hey, guys, we're running the rest of the way period. And it obviously did not turn out that way at all. And uh, it's hard to understand. Some of it, some of the picking has been a little bit unfair because some of the people who are saying, well, they kept passing in the fourth quarter are forgetting that they ended up falling behind in the fourth quarter and then were in a position when they needed to pass. But when they had the lead, I was really surprised they weren't running. Yeah, I mean, because that's that 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 great rushing attack we saw in the postseason. And, and I don't know whether Kyle Shanahan finally outsmarted himself, whether he was trying to boost Jimmy Garoppolo's confidence, whether he was providing him some sort of a litmus test. Like, look, convince me that you're my guy. And I'm telling you, the Emmanuel Sanders throw, it was down right in front of the press box. 
and I saw him break open, and I was sitting there with Shereen Williams, and I probably said, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Sorry, they're going to have to bleep all that. Because uh, I thought it was a touchdown, and I thought it's going to be 27-24. And, and 27-24, Chiefs tied up 27-all. I got a chance for the hole-in-one because I picked the Chiefs 30-27. to I was already spinning it ahead because I saw that ball in the air, and I'm thinking they're going to score a touchdown here. And all in that moment, I'm like, hey, I still got a chance to get the score dead-on balls accurate, and he overthrew him. And, you know, championship players make championship plays, and that's a championship play. And there are quarterbacks who make that throw. Garoppolo isn't one of them. And I can't help but wonder. And, and I, I wonder – the gears are turning in my head as we talk about this. I wonder how much of a factor Garoppolo on second and five, throwing it right in the direction of Chris Jones, third and five, not looking to the inside because Chris Jones was there, failing to hit Emmanuel Sanders when he was open – with the championship on the line, they have until April 1 to make a decision about Garoppolo. Will Kyle Shanahan look around and working with GM John Lynch, will he, will he say, we can upgrade? We have one weak link in this chain, and he wears number 10, and we can escape his contract. Now, they will have paid him a lot of money for two years, but they also will avoid paying him more, and there are guys out there that they can get. And there's one guy they can call up who would love to come home to California. I don't know that he's the answer at this stage of his life, but you put Tom Brady into that offense, I tell you what, Tom Brady makes that throw when Emmanuel Sanders is open heading into the end zone for a championship. We saw him do it last year with Rob Gronkowski to help deliver a championship against the Rams. And I just can't help but wonder what's going to happen behind the scenes. And for me, it would be a tough call. And I'll tell you what, I mean, let's think about this for a second. The guys who could make that throw, I've tried to rattle them off, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down and write something up on this. I've been trying to give it some time to, to just settle because I don't want to be perceived as going all in on Jimmy Garoppolo. But we know Tom Brady could make that throw. We've seen him do it. Aaron Rodgers can make that throw. Patrick Mahomes can make that throw. Russell Wilson can make that throw. Drew Brees can make that throw. I think we agree on that. Do you disagree with any of those names? I do not. Okay, then we start getting into the next cut of quarterbacks. Like Phillip Rivers, I'm not trusting him to make that throw. Kirk Cousins, we saw him make that throw against the Saints, right? He could make that throw. And he's got a history with Shanahan. And you know what? The Vikings, if, if the 49ers are willing to take $29.5 million off the books for this year, I don't know. Could the, could the 49ers trade for the last year of Cousins' contract? And the people the, the people can say, oh, he has a no-trade clause. Yeah, he has a no-trade clause, but he can waive it. And it reunites him with Kyle Shanahan on the best team in the NFC. And maybe they win the Super Bowl if they have Kirk Cousins next year. I, I, just, I just think that Jimmy Garoppolo has given the 49ers a lot to think about. And it all started, it was looking great until second and five with a three-point lead and six minutes or so left in the game. And if, if that pass gets completed or if they just keep running the ball, there's a lot less to think about when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo's future MDS. And his contract gives them a lot to think about because I've heard some people kind of stick up for Garoppolo and say, hey, but, you know, he's still an inexperienced starter. He, he still has room to grow. Maybe he does, but he's not getting paid like an inexperienced starter on his first contract because he's not on his first contract. He's on a, an expensive contract that that I, I think his cap hit next year is like twenty six point six million. 
but they would only incur like four million of that if they got rid of him. So, you know, a 22 million plus savings on that contract is very big. And that's not what you would normally say about a guy who's, well, he's only he's only in his third year as a starter. Well, okay, but that's because those guys are still on their rookie contracts and Jimmy Garoppolo is not. So that contract becomes very interesting. And, you know, you, you start to ask, what if the 49ers wanted to trade Jimmy Garoppolo? How many people, how many GMs do you think there are who would want to trade for that big salary in 2020? I don't think there are all that many. I, I think there are a lot of teams out there that would say, if I'm going to change quarterbacks this year, I'm either getting a more established veteran or I'm getting a young, I'm drafting one or I'm getting somebody young and cheap. You know, he Jimmy Garoppolo is, it's not like he's a, a terrible quarterback, but he isn't quite good enough to justify that contract. And you wonder if, is he really going to get any better than he is right now? Or have we already kind of seen what Jimmy Garoppolo is? So it, it, it's an interesting question that I think we need to be asking going into this offseason is, it's not some I think I think people hear this and they say, oh, you're saying he's terrible. No, not saying he's terrible, but saying he hasn't done enough to justify the contract that he was given. And that contract was structured so that if he didn't justify it, this was the year to move on from him. So it, it, it's a really interesting question to ask. We, we don't often see teams that were in the Super Bowl move on from their starting quarterback, but we have seen it before. You know, Trent Dilfer was the starting quarterback on a team that won a Super Bowl, and the Ravens said, yeah, he, he was the starter, but that doesn't mean he's good enough. He was the starter because our defense is great, and uh, maybe the 49ers feel the same way about Garoppolo. Hey, same team 12 years later. I think in hindsight, the Ravens wish they would have applied the non-exclusive franchise tag to Joe Flacco and welcomed someone, invited someone, dared someone like the Browns or the Chiefs, two teams that were considering it, to sign into an offer sheet and give up two first-round picks. I think the Ravens would have been better off without Joe Flacco. So you have to have the ultimate willingness to rip the name off the back of the jersey. And I think we're providing the context that the 49ers need to apply when thinking this through. And we have a GM who doesn't have years and years and years of iterations of planning his roster for the next year. This is new for John Lynch and for Kyle Shanahan. But the questions you need to ask, and this is, a, this is something we didn't really plan, but we've kind of fallen into it, but I think this is good. Here's what you have to ask. If you were the 49ers, would you trade for Jimmy Garoppolo and his contract right now? That helps you answer the question of whether someone else would trade for him. And if you don't think someone would trade him, would give you something of value, not a Brock Osweiler hot potato deal where you have to pay part of the salary to unload him, but would say, oh, hell yeah, $23.8 million, that's a bargain. We want Jimmy Garoppolo. If they're not lining up the door, that tells you something. Here's the other thing to look at, MDS. If Jimmy Garoppolo were one of the many quarterbacks due to become an unrestricted free agent, right, because he's got three years left on his contract, let's, let's assume – that it's now 2022 and the contract's over. All other facts are the same. Contract's over. Do you re-sign him or do you sign someone else? You have full and complete authority and discretion and ability 
to do whatever you want at the quarterback position. Do you keep Jimmy Garoppolo or do you sign someone else? Yeah, if he were going into free agency right now, I, I don't think I would re-sign him, um, you know, unless he were willing to take something more affordable than what he is scheduled to make, which, you know, I, I don't think he would. So it, it it does seem to me that if the 49ers could just start over again, I think they would look at quarterback as a position where they need to upgrade and when i say if they could start over again they kind of structured that contract in the first place so that this would be the year when they could start over again because it is a contract that is structured in such a way that it's relatively painless to move on from him this year this is the year when it's cheap to move on from him it's a relatively small cap hit to move on or a relatively big cap hit to keep him. And I think you kind of think you would want to move on, but you also want to know who do you go for after that. And there are a lot of good quarterbacks in free agency this year, but the question is, would any of them want to go to San Francisco. The one you named is Tom Brady, and th that's a really interesting possibility because that's his childhood team. And, and the sense I get about Tom Brady is if he leaves the Patriots, and personally, I still don't think he's going to, but if he does, it's going to be for some reason other than just cashing in on the biggest deal. And what reason could there be other than cashing in on the biggest deal. Well, one could be go to my childhood team and win a Super Bowl for my childhood team. Go to a team where I think, hey, the defense is good enough that I don't have to do it all myself. The running game is good enough that I don't have to do it all myself. That could be a really fascinating situation for Tom Brady that you have to think he would consider. And if you're a 49ers fan, for one year, do you want Tom Brady or Jimmy Garoppolo? I probably want Tom Brady over Jimmy Garoppolo. I've seen enough from Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I want to upgrade. I need Look, this is what football teams do. It's always the best interest of the team. We need to upgrade wherever we can, and we need to be willing to have no sacred cows in the organization. And if we can upgrade at quarterback, we do it. And I don't know what kind of pushback they would get if they change quarterbacks. Now, it's one thing to swap Jimmy Garoppolo for Ryan Tannehill. It's another thing to swap Garoppolo for Tom Brady. I, My God. I mean, my God, if they would do that. And, you know, the the what makes this interesting, Garoppolo didn't have the kind of Super Bowl meltdown that would make it obvious that he's out. But he had just enough. There were just enough, if you pay attention, right? Just enough moments where you got to ask yourself, can we do better? And I think the fair answer to the question is yes. The question is, how do we do it? And on that point of, would you re-sign him if he was a free agent? He basically is, given the way you structure your contracts. You have until April 1 to avoid $15.7 in base salary becoming fully guaranteed, which means at that point you're keeping keeping him at $23.8 million in base salary, $600,000 workout bonus. That moves it to $24.4, and then another $800,000 in per-game roster bonuses, which moves it to as high as $25.2. April 1, he's your guy. 
before April 1, and as the NFL offseason goes, it's an eternity to consider your options. And maybe, maybe they just don't think about it until they see how this plays out. Is Tom Brady available? Does Ryan Tannehill get franchise tagged instead of Derrick Henry if there's only one tag available, if they get a new CBA done this week or at some point before the start of the league year? What other options are out there? Would the Vikings trade Kirk Cousins? Would we want to trade for Kirk Cousins and swap out 25-2 for Garoppolo for 29-5 with Kirk Cousins? And, and remember, remember, Kyle Shanahan, one of the reasons, and he mentioned this last week, one of the reasons he didn't evaluate Patrick Mahomes, because they could have had him. We talked all the time about the Bears screwing up and taking Trubisky. They could have had Mahomes with the third pick in the 2017 draft. He thought he was getting Kirk Cousins in free agency in 2018, so he didn't bother to look at the guys that were there in 2017. And, and, and remember at first, when they traded for Garoppolo, he wasn't happy. He was down in the mouth. His plan for 2018 had been disrupted. It, does the loss in the Super Bowl cause him to say, screw this. I'm doing this the way I want to do it with the quarterback I want, and we're going to go get Kirk Cousins. We're not keeping Jimmy Garoppolo. We're getting Kirk Cousins, and he's going to be our quarterback. Look, I, we're still in the afterglow of the Super Bowl, and I've been hesitant to go all in with these concepts because I don't want to invite the 49ers fans to go crazy on the whole idea. You hate Jimmy Garoppolo. Look, you should want an upgrade. And there's a hell of a path out there to multiple possible upgrades to guys who would make that throw to Emmanuel Sanders with a championship on the line, MDS. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and this is maybe my favorite year for this whole quarterback roulette situation that we have going on. You know, uh, it, I think when in the time that you and I have been doing this, the year when free agency was the biggest was when Peyton Manning was a free agent. And then uh, because he went to the Broncos, Tim Tebow, who had at the time, of course, was one of the most popular players in the NFL. He then got, got traded to the Jets. That was like the biggest it's been. But I think this offseason has the potential to just dwarf that because so many situations are in flux. It starts with Tom Brady, but it's also, you know, it's it's Jimmy Garoppolo. It's the whole situation with the Saints where we don't know if Drew Brees is going to retire or not. We don't know what kind of an offer as a restricted free agent some other team might give to Taysom Hill. We don't know where Teddy Bridgewater is going to go. And then on and on. I mean, there, there are just so many different places where we don't know where the quarterback who, who was there for 2019 is going to end up in 2020. And it's really interesting. And, uh, you know, th there just aren't many teams where we can say for sure who the starter is going to be in week one. We, we can say the Chiefs are going to keep Patrick Mahomes. Feel confident in that one. But there aren't many other situations where we're saying for sure, yeah, that quarterback who played well for them last year is definitely going to be back this year. And it makes for a very fun offseason. People ask me from time to time what I root for. I root for great stories. And the concept and the possibility and the notion of Tom Brady becoming the quarterback of the 49ers and maybe the Patriots reclaiming Jimmy Garoppolo in a trade back. It's a Fran Tarkenton type of a move. Also wore number 10. Tarkenton was traded to the Giants for a few years from the Vikings and then traded back 
to the Vikings after things didn't work out for him in New York. So I, it's, I want chaos. And I don't mean chaos in a bad way. I want things to be shaken up. I want stories that we can dig our teeth into. And just this, this process of kind of identifying where the, the various pieces may fall is fascinating, and we're still weeks away from hypothetical becoming reality. Let's answer a couple questions real quick because there's some good ones I want to get to that uh, are different from what we've been talking about over the last hour. Sean Alvishar. With Jacksonville playing back-to-back home games in London, is this a way the NFL will navigate putting a team overseas, splitting time between American home base for players and facilities, but increasing the amount of games a team plays in London? Your thoughts on that, MDS? I was I was blown away when I when when I saw the the text that we we share on the chain of who's taking what story that the Jaguars are playing back-to-back games in London. I just assumed they'd be the road team for one of them. The fact that they're playing. 25% of their home schedule in London this year was stunning to me. Yeah, an NFL team giving up two home games like that is unprecedented. We haven't seen it before. And usually there's a little bit of reluctance on the part of teams to even give up one home game to go play internationally. Most of the teams really prefer not to do it. Shot Khan has been a bit of an outlier in that he's volunteered and said, yeah, I'll do it every year. And now that he's volunteering to do two in one year, that really makes you wonder where does this go? How quickly does two turn into four and four turn into eight? And and I'm just going to be interested to see where this all ends up. But the, the question is, of course, the logistics of how do you do it? Do you have a practice facility in London? Do you ask players to, to start living in London? Would a London-based team have a training camp in London and its off-season program in London? I, I think it gets difficult with the logistical challenges more than the question of would a team want the revenue that it can get in London because Shad Khan has has said, hey, I make more money from the London home games than I make from the Jacksonville home games. So I I, I don't know where this is going to end up. Uh, Shad Khan is still saying all the right things to Jacksonville fans about, yeah, I want to stay in Jacksonville. That's my top priority. But the reality is it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to give up two home games Unless you're starting to get a feel for if two works, would four work? And then if four works, would eight work? So it's going to be interesting to me. Shad Khan has business interests in London. He owns an English football team. He tried to actually buy Wembley Stadium. It didn't work out for him. But he wants to invest in London. He sees London as the sports capital of the world, to use the, the phrase that London's mayor used today when uh, when it was announced that the Jaguars are going to play two games there. So uh, I don't know where this is going to go, but if I were a Jacksonville-based fan who wants my team to stay in Jacksonville, I wouldn't feel real good about it today. Yeah, look, here's the reality. And I was told this within the past couple of years, even though there are numerous logistical issues from the things you mentioned, plus tax rates 
exchange rates. The notion that, you know, the typical NFL road trip is you leave Saturday and you're back Sunday night. You're not gone from your home for very long. You're going to be gone three weeks at a time if your team is based in London all the time. There are going to be players that don't want to play for a team in London. There are going to be draft picks that are going to have to be fully vetted in advance before you put the name in. You better be damn sure the guy's going to say, I'll go play in London and not no, I'll just re-enter the draft next year. I'm not moving to London under any set of circumstances. So there's a lot of logistical issues. But but I was told within the past two years, if Shad Khan wants to move the team to, to London, the NFL will support him. And now we're seeing more and more of the home schedule. And who knows where this is going to go. But he does make more money. MDS, I, I didn't think you, you can't see me today, but I was doing I am doing the the international symbol for more money with my fingers here and twice the the games, twice the money. He wants to get out of the bottom 25 percent of NFL revenue. And in Jacksonville, even though they've got Gardner Minshew the second and he's fascinated and excited the fan base. And we asked him why last week. He said he's got just the right amount of white trashiness to him, which causes him to resonate. I don't know that that's a compliment or an insult to the folks in Jacksonville, but he said it, not me. You make more money playing in London. And, and here's what happens. And, and I remember when the rumor came out this year that the Chargers may move to London. My first reaction was, Shad Khan is not going to let it happen. He's got shotgun on London. And if anything, talk of another team moving there. And I remember one of my, one of my theories, because my, my first theory was somebody has leaked this to force Khan to move the team. Later, I realized this is just the Rams trying to make it impossible for the Chargers to establish a foothold in L.A. So they'll spread all this stuff to make it look like the Chargers aren't staying. You win the contest for selling PSLs and tickets if the people in L.A. think that the Chargers are a temporary resident of the city and the Rams are the team that is there to stay. That was my, after thinking about it for a couple of days, my final conclusion. But my first thought was somebody from the league is pushing this idea because they want Khan to go. And Khan will go, I believe, if one of the other teams decides, hey, we're going to move to London. And his ter- he's marking his territory, right? He's now peeing on two trees, not one. And soon it's going to be three. And maybe it is going to be four. And, and one of the possibilities I've always considered is four and four. The old county stadium in Milwaukee, Green Bay, split by the Packers, just a little bit farther apart. MDS? And I, you cut off there at the end, so I didn't hear the last thing you said. But I, I will say that, you know, the Jaguars, they'll move if – Shad Khan is convinced that he can make it all work. I, I really think that it, it's just a matter of could this really all come to fruition with is there a sustainable fan base for eight games a year? Is there a way to get a team there to, to live there full time? I mean, there are all these questions that haven't been answered. But look, the NFL is already so popular in the United States that there just isn't much room to grow any more popular here. But where there is room to grow is overseas. And the NFL really thinks it has something in London. And uh, I I think it could only get bigger in London. And, And I think there are people who really believe it is going to get big enough to sustain having a team based there. Yeah, I agree with you completely, and I'm fascinated to see how this plays out. They want to globalize the sport, and despite all of the issues, if there's an owner who wants to subject his team to those issues, 
They're going to let him do it. And Khan is the guy who basically has a de facto right of first refusal on London. And if, if and when we start hearing about some other team that maybe has a stadium issue that isn't getting resolved and they're looking at their alternatives. And, you know, it's amazing to me. I'm going to choose my words carefully here. I'm not going to name any specific teams, but if you've been paying attention, you know which team currently has a stadium issue that is unresolved. Whenever this comes up, MDS, the fans of that team, and, and I don't fault them, I'd be the same way. They, they basically plug their fingers in their ears and say, la, 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 not listening. There's no way the team's ever moving. Haven't you heard everything that ownership has said about their commitment to the city? And I've seen this play out where the fans say the same thing. Team's not moving. Ownership is committed. And then the team moves. We've seen three teams move in the past few years. The Rams, the Chargers, and the Raiders. And look, th this is the game, folks. Th they say football is family. Not because football is family, because football is business, and it's good for business to say football is family. Football is business. And they want us not to think about that. They want us not to pay attention to the man behind the curtain who is doing everything he can to stuff his pockets with as much money as possible. But that is a very real dynamic here. We can pretend... It's not, right? We can, we can do the same thing that I used to do when I was a kid when I knew damn well that wrestling was fake, but I wanted it to be real. We can ignore the realities that make football something other than some pure endeavor where the cities basically own the teams. They don't. The owners own the teams. And they're going to do whatever is in their best financial interests with those teams. And if you need a new stadium or your market isn't performing and there are other alternatives out there, especially if there's public money that's available or if you're going to spend your own money on a stadium, you may as well go to a place where more people are. This is the way it happens. And London is too big to not have an NFL owner squat on that market. And Khan is doing it slowly. But the moment somebody decides they're going to try to swoop in and make that their home, that's going to get Khan moving. Unless, unless the NFL is going to do what I remember the first time I heard Al Michaels say this 10 years ago. When the NFL goes back to L.A., it's going with two teams. Maybe when the NFL goes to London MDS, it goes with two teams. Yeah, and two teams in London, I actually think could help with the logistical issues. For one thing, you put them in the same division, and now you, you, also, you don't have one road game you don't have to travel to the United States for. Um, you, you know that you're going to have a stadium that's filled for every week of the NFL season rather than only half the weeks of the NFL season. I, I think two teams in London is a real possibility, and uh, that, that would help with some of the logistical problems that we're talking about. They might be able to share one big, massive practice facility um, they, they would have joint training camps there. You could see that starting to work. And it, it, it just points to the way the NFL wants to grow. You know, when, when Roger Goodell talks about the growth of the NFL, he doesn't talk in little small pieces. Oh, we want to grow 3% next year. He talks about $25 billion in annual revenue. And the way to do that is something really bold, some bold move like two teams in London. And, and yeah, I could absolutely see that happening. It would take 
two motivated owners who want to make it work. And maybe it's Shad Khan and someone else. Yeah. And uh, who knows where this is going to head from here. We have taken up enough of your time today with our awards and we only answered one question i'm sorry about that i'll do a pft pm later in the week where i answer any and all questions i have so ask your questions again if i didn't answer them but this jaguars thing has many layers uh and levels and we ultimately could have before we know it two teams playing in london the jaguars and someone else and you're right they'd have to realign they'd have to have them in the same division it would be a great natural rivalry uh that, that's that's how you that's how you spread the NFL virus. You you create two fact. They've got two stadiums, right? You got two stadiums that are NFL worthy. You put one in one and one in the other, and lo and behold, you've got uh, two full regular season schedules, and you've got teams that will play each other twice per year among those games and compete head to head. And and I'm fascinated by where it can go. Thank you, as always, for some of your time. Great work, MDS. Great seeing you and your lovely wife, Sarah, at the Super Bowl and all week long through the various activities we had. We will keep rolling. Somebody asked me the other day, and I posted this on Twitter, what do you do now that the season's over? Well, we keep doing what we always do because the NFL never sleeps. It never slows down. Maybe from the middle of June to the middle of July, but there's still plenty that's going on, and there definitely will be plenty. This is going to be one of the most fascinating off-seasons Ever. And that is not hyperbole. That is the damn truth. And we're going to be with you every step of the way, MDS, uh, until we meet again via FaceTime and uh, this uh, elaborate, uh, not so elaborate hookup I have in my house. Thank you. And we'll see you all with another edition of PFTPM real soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.